Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And joining me is a guest that I had on over a decade ago, back in 2011. And I remember what the world was like back then. And I remember what I was fascinated by back then. Christian Lang had this idea for social network, essentially for business. It was like Facebook for businesses. Shouldn't business people get to talk to each other? A little bit more like in the in the work together spirit than LinkedIn ended up being. LinkedIn is more like where you find people who are doing the kind of work you're looking for. His idea for Trade Shift, I think, was how do we get people who are working together to talk to each other and to see who else they could be working with and they're connected with? He's kind of smiling as I'm saying this because does this feel a little naive to you now looking back? Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, Andrew, um, you know, 10 years ago, we knew one thing, right? And that was cloud computing was coming fast. And cloud computing was forming networks everywhere, right? I mean, if people think about cloud computing as standalone from networks, but it's the same thing. The moment, you know, I have cloud computing, the cost of connecting stuff drops dramatically, right? So it's no mistake that we got cloud computing and then we got Twitter and Facebook and all of these. They essentially all came from that phenomenon and, and, and exactly the same in business, right? We saw a massive opportunity in helping businesses connect and not just the people in the businesses, but the businesses themselves, right? Could you, if you're a small business owner, create a profile for your company, go out and find other companies to do business with and the people inside, and could you make it as easy as you and me, we can connect on LinkedIn, right? Which is not really the case today. If, you know, I'm in Germany and you're in France and we need to do business, there's all sorts of stuff, right? Uh, compliance, tax, uh, but also just collaborating. Um, so Wait, so that was is... the original... This is if Andrew idea. wants to collaborate with, say, a podcast editing company in Germany. Yeah. You are going to help me find the podcasting company that my friends or the people that I work with already use, connect with them and say, hey, you're already editing my buddy's podcast over for HubSpot. Will you edit mine? They say yes. And then instead of communicating by email or using project management software like Asana, I would use TradeShift. That was the vision. Find them and talk and work together. Yeah, that was the vision, right? And then to connect that, not just with the chat, but with the ability, of course, for you to develop a vendor relationship where, you know, you could, you know, get paid or receive an invoice and then pay it and so on. Right. So it was sort of half accounting system, half social network, right? And and which sounds, right. you know, um, but, but that's actually what we do, right? Business is social. A lot of people think it's, it's you know, very automated and very dry, but, but all business in the world is social. It's about people having connections and relations and, you know, working together. What I remember of the time was you talking in terms of social network, because this was a period when there could have been multiple social networks, and that was exciting. That's the part that makes you smile. I saw the corners of your mouth curl up as we thought about it. What else, when you go back, what do you feel a little bit naive that you said back then? And then... Obviously, the business grew phenomenally to the point where you yeah. couldn't have even, I don't think that your young brain back then understood the depths of business as it operates today, even though it might have been staring you at the face. The guy who delivered your, your package, you might have known that the business was big, but you didn't know how intricate it was. So you didn't know it. You got huge. I want to know how you got huge, but um, what didn't you, what was a little naive about your vision for the business oh. back then? Oh, man, everything. <laughs> We were like, oh yeah, we're just going to build this thing, launch it out in the world and companies all over the world are going to start connecting because that's how social networks work, right? And ah, they're just, yeah. they're just going to connect and find each other and, and do business. And, and, and they, to some degree they did. In 2011, when we talked, I think it was 60,000 different people are already yeah. joined, which meant that you were starting to get network effects. Yeah. And you know, it was early network effects and it was, you know, um, it was, it was sort of, you know, but what people were doing, which, which surprised us was they didn't really collaborate a whole lot, but they did a lot of business. So like, oh, wow, this makes it easy to send an invoice to somebody else and get paid and I can see the status in real time. So having all of this inside a network where you had the relationships. So what we were a little surprised about was when people really lend in, lead into and very apparently get the gap in the market was much more on this sort of contractual and, and, and payment and, and business side that it was maybe so much initially the collaboration and, you know, let's talk about this project here, right? Because 
as we know, that went to a lot of other platforms over time. But, you know, um, the, the transactional side, we did spot on uh, at the time. But the other side, I think we were probably quite naive in thinking we could combine those two at the, same, at the way we thought. Well, what you did that was brilliant was you said, look, businesses need invoicing. We're going to give it to them for free. And essentially invoicing, what FreshBooks does at its core is very basic, doesn't cost much to operate. Now, obviously, FreshBooks has gone up and up the stack and they're doing more. Um, but that was a big feature, right? Free yeah. invoicing. Yeah. And, and it's it's interesting, right? I mean, that's back to the network model. If, if you think about yourself as a staff company, you can't really go out and get free invoicing. I mean, can you? Because you've got to charge your users something for all you do. But if you think about yourself as a, as a network, right, it's very different because you're thinking, oh, wow, we want to connect all of these companies and those connections will drive value. Those relationships will drive value and we will learn a lot from that that we can then offer value-added products, services, and build mm -hmm. out from. So because we had a network business model, we were able to think very differently about how we use free than if we're a pure SaaS company. And I think that was... I mean, I say that, I guess, if you're a geniuses, we hadn't thought that out really when, when that happened, but that's sort of how it, you know, it became clear that we could offer free because we're a network and that would be very hard to do just for a SaaS company. No, I mean, when I look back on that, that just made sense at the time and it makes sense today. Offer free software that then allows people to connect into your world. The other thing that you did that was ahead of your time was uh, you hooked up with Morton Lund the investor who at yeah. the time was most famous for investing in Skype. And to me, in my mind, he was a guy who's talked openly on my podcast about failure. And so I, yeah. I really liked him. And he, he didn't have much money at the time. And he said, let's just go to Twitter and see, will anyone join for equity and help build this product? And so I forget what it was. It was dozens of people, dozens of developers said, we'll help. They helped build the product. And then they ended up getting equity in the business. Do any of them still have equity to this day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just think about this in 2021, the idea that you just go to Twitter and you get a bunch of people involved in an idea and they just contribute time. I mean, uh, we're in a different world today, right? And with the salary ranges and everything happening out in tech, it's very different. But you know, that's actually a movement that reminds me a little bit about that. I don't know if we want to talk about it later or not, but I actually think a lot of what's happening with Web3 and yeah. the blockchain and so yes. has a similar feel. Right? Yeah. It's people coming together, they're collaborating from all over the world and they're making it happen, right? So I think in the early days of TradeShift, um, that was a great way of getting started. I mean, we started, you know, thinking about this in 2008. It was a year where everybody would be cold about money. They just laughed and hung up, right? Like it was in the middle of the financial crisis. So so I think, you know, for the boss, it was a great start. Uh, we were very lucky and, you know, Morden was, was great and then he kicked that off and you know, I mean, today we, we have, a, you know, thousands of people and, you know, engineers and, and so on. So it's a little bit of a different situation, but it was a great start. And I think it actually, it did one more thing, if I can just add that. Yeah. It made us a global company out of the box, right? Today we mm. talk a lot about being remote, being hybrid, working all over the world, figuring out things. I mean, we were born that way. I mean, we were born of Twitter. You can't be more remote and, and, and hybrid uh, or virtual than that, right? So yeah. So I think that's lucky today that we just got by accident that into our DNA, I would say. In the sense that open source was that way too, you'd kind of taken on some of the aspects of open source of people who never met, people who hadn't been screened, who were working together. Okay, I should say today, here's the one sentence description that you gave me for the company marketplaces and payment automation for supply chains. I want you to unpack that, but let's start with with where you are today since we talked about the early couldn't raise money days. You, Where are you? You're in San Francisco where trucks are backing up loudly like that? Uh, yeah, I'm so sorry for that. And apparently it needs to be backing for a very long time. <laughs> very long time. So <laughs> you're, you're a unicorn now. I don't want to get too deep in valuations, but that's true. Yeah, yeah we, we, are, we are... We are we are we are unicorn a few times over. Um, we uh, we are you know uh, operating in forty three countries. Uh, we do business for probably the two thousand largest companies in the world, and around one point five million of their suppliers. And what's the I revenue think, today? Um, we are north of triple digits. Uh, so you know, um, yeah, in, in that range. So well over a hundred million dollars uh, in revenue to your business, not revenue done on the platform. And no, uh, multi, no. not revenue done on the platform, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. and if you look at the network right itself, we—I mean—to give you that number, uh, we, we are probably transacting for for close to half a trillion a year now. Like, so that's 
trillion with a T. Mm. Uh, so, so you know, we've come very long way since uh, since that uh, issue ten years ago. All right, I want to understand the transition, but maybe we can understand what you're used for today. And I should say this interview is sponsored by two great companies. The first, if you're paying your people, contractors, employees, you should go to gusto.com slash Mixergy. And the second, when you're ready to hire developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. I'll tell you about those later. But first, let's understand, can you give me like a use case that helps me understand how TradeShift is integrated into businesses? Yeah, so so the way we came into to businesses and how our business we started developing. So we started out with this idea of the free network and everything companies all over the world to do business with their customers and really leaned into that partner and understood that was the primary use case, right? And then what happened was, as, as these companies all over the world started doing business with their largest customers, these large customers now got thousands of invites to join TradeShift. Um, and they started calling us and say, hey, we've never seen this before. We've been trying to digitize our supply chain for 10, 20, 30 years, and nothing has happened. What does it mean and to digitize also- its supply chain? It means, you know, most supply chains, I mean, maybe actually we need to pause here, right? Because that's unfathomable to most mm-hmm. people. Supply chains around the world today run on PDF, paper, fax, duct tape, carrier uh, pigeon. Meaning uh, what? Like, can you give me an they, example of when someone's so, trying so to buy companies what? Who, who, you know, I mean, it's still very common today for companies all over the world to receive their purchase orders on fax. Okay, and so I'm I'm just so staring here at this. So the company, it, like say I'm a huge Fortune 500 company, they want to put in a hundred orders for materials X somewhere. Uh, okay, they they need. A, let's say they, I'm looking at a guitar right here, so I'm going to use that as an yeah. example. The maker yeah. of the guitar needs to get wood. They don't just go onto a website that's the equivalent of Amazon and order wood and have it delivered electronically. They don't. You're shaking your no. head profusely at that. No, instead, what they might do is find a supplier online maybe or through connections then they most send likely them- already have yeah yeah they, okay. they most likely already have long-running relationships and the way they started doing business with these relationships even if it's 20 30 years ago they're still doing business with those relationships and if so, that meant that they've been always mail emailing or faxing over yeah. a purchase yeah. order document that's what they're doing and so for you you're saying you're smiling at that because that is antiquated and for you instead what parts of that would happen electronically Yes, yeah, so suddenly the suppliers, right? So, so the buyers has been telling these suppliers you've got to change because they want to save money. They want to be more efficient. They want to scale their business, right? And the suppliers are like, well, we don't want to just change for you guys. That's cumbersome. And then we have to get to do 20 different things. And, but suddenly these suppliers and sellers all over the world, they had trade shift, right? And they were using trade shift to run their business or, or, or set the invoices. And so the buyers have said, wow, we're getting all of these digital invoices suddenly out of nowhere. So they call us and say, hey, um, do you guys have enterprise software? Uh, and um, being entrepreneurs, um, and again, maybe back to a little naive, we obviously said yes, uh, showed up with a PowerPoint. And um, then uh, I think, uh, you know, probably one of the best and worst things in trade history happened at the same time, we sold. Um, and then we spent, uh, ended up spending the next two to three years building enterprise software because that's a lot harder than you think. I can't believe that it would take that long when you're signing up and okay. But if I'm understanding it today, it's the idea that the, the guitar maker needs wood. Yeah. <laughs> they would then, it, it's more than just a purchase order that's digitized that they might be able to send by yeah. DocuSign. It's more like an integration with their system so that whenever they need it, they don't have to sit and say, yeah. we need this much for the next month. It's more like our software knows we need this send the signal over to our supplier. The supplier knows how much to send over and it all happens faster, not just faster and smarter than it would if it was a digitized PDF. Yeah, and you can think about it's also the different direction, right? So early on, we would get a supplier. They would go out and do business with one of their customers, but we maybe only have a relationship with one customer, right, for that supplier. But that customer would then say, that should be the very last. They would say, wow, we want to use TradeShift to create relationships with all of our suppliers. It's the equivalent of, you know, going on LinkedIn and setting out an invasion to 10,000 people, right? And that's when we really started spreading, right? Because we got I these see. super nodes and, and they would connect with everyone. And, and for their business, it meant for the big buyer that they could, you know, get all of the invoices digital. They could get all of the supplier relationships digital. They could get, you know, if there was an address change in the supplier, they would get that automatically, you know, so, so really using the network to run their relationship with their supplier rather than on paper. 
So this was, um, and, it was DHL yeah. that was a major change. Can we talk about yes. that? They contacted yeah. you and they said what? The shipping company. The DHL said, look, we have thousands of suppliers calling us about trade shift now. And they're all saying the same thing. If you can use this for invoicing. And, and so do you guys have a corporate solution? And and we were like 70 people in trade shift. Uh, we said yes. And, uh, you know. But how um, could you afford 70 people back then? What were you doing that was allowing you to fund 70 people? We had some revenue from, at first off, remember, we were sort of distributed and, you know, not everywhere in the same cost zone, but we also had some funding and revenue just on building the network. There were some people who bet that so there were people who were paying for the network just for like accessing. No, but they might be using the PayPal app we had built for, for doing a payment on an invoice and we would get a small slice of that. But ah, okay. the revenue was tiny. It was tiny okay. from all of that to the point so of. So it was basically really giveaway mattering. invoicing charge for extra features on top of it. And if some small group of people pay, that's enough to make a nice little yeah. business, but not this business that you have today. Okay, got it. And so they, DHL comes to you and says, we want more because our customers are asking to be invoiced by you, DHL, using TradeShift. Can you figure out a way to work with us? And you go in and you give them a PDF or a PowerPoint presentation that says what? What could you do? Yeah, no. So we said to them, what if instead of having your whole supply chain run on paper and everyone you interact with on paper, you had a digital network in place where every single interaction, every single transaction, if there was an issue with a transaction, hey, I'm not going to pay your invoice, you need to fix this, would happen on the platform within the software. You'd never have to ah. get out of that. Uh, and, and really enable you to essentially, you know, digitize the relationship with your supplier base. Um, and that's not a small thing if you're DHL and have 100,000 suppliers globally. That's Why do they have so bit, many suppliers? What are they getting? French shipping around the world taking care of getting goods ready to be, right? They're all suppliers. So if you see that DHL truck, that might not actually be somebody who works for DHL. It could be a freight forwarding company that's oh, invoicing DHL. Right, right. got it. That's they a, might have the DHL logo on. Right, okay. So yeah, then yeah. All the, that's considered a supplier, right? So yeah. you're saying... What if yeah. everything here was digitized in one platform and back then they were what? They were still doing it all by paper? Yeah. And I mean, look, people were still talking about even trying to put the EAP system in the cloud. That was like, maybe we shouldn't do that. That's scary, right? The what system so in the cloud? The, yeah, the, the, the accounting system, right? They were still talking mm. about putting the accounting software. That was a very new thing. I mean, Salesforce was really just the only ones out there saying, you should go digital with enterprise software. Okay. And people were skeptical. They're like, no, we should probably keep it in our server room, right? And okay. So so we were out there saying, no, you should take your most important process, the one that means you can build your products yeah. and deliver your services, and you should put this not only in the cloud, but on a network. And, and we were very lucky um, that people trusted us. They trusted the vision we had and, and actually was were part of investing in that vision. And, and you know... Uh, yeah, I think you got to have some luck along the way as well. I'm looking at my notes from my producer's conversation with you. You say, unfortunately, the pitch was so good, we closed the deal with the HL. Why did she? That's not a typo, right? No. Did she make a mistake and say, unfortunately? Why did you say, unfortunately? They signed it. Big no. customer. Yeah, like, look, you know, I think as a, as a company, right, and also to the lessons to people, you know, with the different stages here is you got to be really careful for what you wish for, right? Uh, if, if you're thinking, oh, wow, I would love to sell my software, my product to some people who really pay a lot for it, right? Um, well, once you get that, you also suddenly, you know, these guys are going to come and ask you for a lot of stuff, right? And DHL, you know, immediately turned around with a laundry list of stuff they needed that was so huge. That's why I said we spent the next year, year and a half just trying to fulfill and build this, and it became our enterprise software, our first enterprise software SaaS product, software as a service product. Uh, which is called Trade Shift Pay, which was the payment automation, the invoice automation piece. And, um, you know, it almost killed us because it was such a big lift. It was such a big requirement. And then they go like, oh, yeah, and what's your plan for rolling this out in 100 countries? And we were like, uh, oh, let's go hire some professional service people here. Right? So we went from... You were using like Google sport. Translate at the time, which was a cool yeah. innovation, yeah. but that wouldn't yeah. wouldn't do here. But then, no. did they pay you up front for this? Is it like they do? So yeah, it's like they're paying the very, you like a service. That's a very important part, right? So they would pay us annually up front. This is common for software as a service, right? And 
that was that changed our business model because we obviously were enough to attract enough revenue that we could invest in in building these services. But were they paying you um, essentially to build the thing that then you could reuse no, the same thing for other? license the. They're paying us to license the platform. Was that uh, enough was money to build it? Mostly not. So we also raised some more capital, right? And that's so on the back of that, you, know, you were able to go and raise money yeah. and say, "We need yeah. this money to build what DHL is saying that they're and they're showing that they're willing to pay for, and they're paying and they're not getting it for a year plus." Investors yeah. gave you the money. You built it. Yeah. It nearly killed you. Why? You had money. You had a customer who was clearly asking for things and had influence to then push you to other customers. Why would that nearly kill you? I mean, it's, 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 you know, big, I mean, it was not just one customer, right? Then we started getting more like that. And, you know, if your operations are not ready to deal with enterprise level customers and not just enterprise level customers, largest companies in the world, they will suck a lot of, of, of cost out of you. They will essentially just take all of your resources, all of your people and use every day. Right. So you need to stay true to that product vision, not just deliver. You can't just become a consultant for DHL, building right. what they want. You need to sell them a vision that can be a product for many customers, right? And How do you make sure that you are staying solid to that vision that worked for other customers? Being very stubborn. Like, I mean, you just essentially going to say, look, you, it's in your interest that we get a lot of customers on this. And it's mm. not just custom built for DHL because then you share the maintenance costs, you share, you know, all of these things, you're the bigger pool um, and, and, and so on, right? So... Uh, that was that was the important part. What about this, Christian? You had this very internet personality back then. You were really in the throw, in the thick of creating with a group of strangers, of not having compliance, of being this revolutionary. And now you go to enterprise culture. How are you able to adjust it without feeling like I'm now someone's dad instead of being somebody's mm -hmm. kid in the basement? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely hope uh, not all of our enterprise customers go and dig up that first interview. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's no. Like I think you know, with Tracy, look, um, actually met a really cool guy. I, I, I'm gonna mention him because he was an amazing guy. He worked for a big enterprise company, and uh, it's it's a very well known global airline. And if you know mm -hmm. anything about airline, you don't really think innovation as the first priority necessarily. Um, and they were looking to buy our software and we were the smallest player in the bid. There was four or five other players at the bid. And he explained to me, he said, Christian, the reason we are considering you is that when we are a company this large, to be honest, he said, we can't really innovate. The only way we can innovate is by buying the people who are going to innovate for us. Mm. So he's like, we need to buy a certain amount of rebels. We need to buy a certain amount of people who are willing to challenge the envelope. And he says, so I want to be clear that if we're buying your software, you can't just turn stale tomorrow and become the next, you know, SAP Oracle. We want you to keep pushing us on, on this vision that we really li like and agree with, right? So I think you have a responsibility when you're a smaller software company or a software company in general. I mean, it's so small anymore, but that, that you understand that it's not your job to deliver it to your customers' requirements. It's your job to deliver, you know, innovation and change for your customers. And, and that's how you stay true to it. I mean, that's how you can stay a rebel. Small thing, but now you're wearing a t-shirt. I expected you in a tie because I've seen so many pictures of you lately in a tie. You look good in a tie. It's like, what is it? It's, yeah, it's a suit and tie even that I've got a photo of you here in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Did, when you yeah. started going to DHL, did you change a t-shirt into a tie and jacket? Did you, know? you start to get, No. You know, I did. And, and did. you know, because of course, I was like, oh, you know, this is a serious meeting. We're meeting with serious people. I put on a suit and tie. And you know what? They were like, oh, we were expecting you were wearing a t-shirt. We were looking <laughs> for this guy from TechCrunch. We saw this interview with you. So I stopped doing it, right? Okay. Because, you know, you know, I kind of felt like I was disappointing, you know, uh, disappointing them. So I still wear a suit and tie. I mean, not tie. I don't think I wear a tie really since the 90s, but... At, the, at least I wear a suit uh, for many of our meetings today, but but there's this funny expectation that people expect to meet the founder, the tech guy, and you know, so so it's very important, I think, also not to change too much who we are. Really, right? You started at the time when Mark Zuckerberg had a business card that said, "I'm a CEO, bitch." That I yeah. think what you're saying to me is, 
I keep thinking that they were going to transform you into an enterprise vendor. And you're saying they wanted an enterprise vendor, but they also wanted a startup entrepreneur. And so yep. that allowed you to be that person that you were, but there's a there's a reality that you still had to adjust. Okay, let me take a moment. I want to tell everyone who's listening to me, if you're looking to hire a developer, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. When you do, you're going to find that they will find you these amazing developers who, because they're in Eastern Europe where the founder lives, are way less expensive than the ones that you get from the U.S., I could say all kinds of things. In fact, if you use my URL, you're even going to get a bigger discount. But you're not going to believe me until you talk to them. So do this. If you're hiring, just set up a call with them and see what they've got for you. Many of the people who I've uh, had on here have found out about Lemon. Many have asked me for introductions. If you need one, actually, you don't even need one. Just go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. They will give you a discount on their already low price because you're using that URL. That's how they track me, right? Use a URL. They track me. You get a discount. But more importantly, you're going to get phenomenal developers from Eastern Europe who will work at a much lower price than the ones who live where Christian lives today and where I lived just a few months ago in San Francisco. Really great company. Um, and go check them out. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. All right. Took you how many years to develop for DHL? It took me. Uh, it took me a year and a half. Uh, not me. Uh, our team and, and the team. Of course, of course, we deployed some earlier, but before we were really there and, and had a solution that had product market fit that could scale, it was probably a year and a half. Uh, we got a handful of more customers in that time, but then we really started developing once we were there we, on the enterprise customer side and, and becoming more and more an enterprise company on the software side, right? And. And so one of the things that you kept saying to our to our producer was compliance. Entrepreneurs don't realize the importance of that. When, how did you realize it and what did you have to do? What is compliance? Yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, it's actually more than compliance. I think what I said to the producer is complexity. And, and you know, everybody who whoever learned how to build a startup is like, pick something simple, something easy, you know, focus on making that as good as possible and then scale and build, right? Um, and that's true. That's, that's really, really good advice. But what you should remember is that if you understand something really complex, very few people understand, um, that's a very good mode, right? So it might be a lot more expensive to get to a market. There might be a lot more friction, but compliance and complexity are great modes. And, and today we see it, right? We rarely lose a customer once they're alive because the complexity and compliance we offer them now globally, like if you know, you're a big company, we help you do business in 43 countries, right? You don't want to really s switch this off. And, and you know, that's the problem if you just have a very simple and easy idea is mm. it can also be easy to switch off, right? Uh, so complexity is not always bad, even though if you just listen to some startup advice, everybody says avoid complexity. I, I don't entirely agree with that. That makes sense, right? If it, you had just stuck with invoicing with some bells and whistles, you could switch an invoicing provider pretty quickly. We've done that multiple times at Mixergy, but the more integrated and difficult to extricate a, a vendor is, the more you're you're likely to stick with them. And I do see DHL is still on your website. You've got one of their, uh, I guess, delivery people uh, on like, um, like a model on your homepage. You also said it took connecting 20 different types of software something for KYC, which is know your customer, something for approval, something for tax. You didn't integrate it all. I mean, you didn't add it to your software. You started working with the ones they used. So, so very early on in Chase history, we had this idea that if we could, you know, get everybody to use our network and put their business transactions in our network. We had this opportunity to open it up to third parties, right? We have APIs, which allow software developers to build software on top of the network or connect it to our software we could open up a lot of business, right? And, and create a lot of innovation. And, and, and business has been closed into these very closed systems for years. So we saw that as an opportunity. And over the years, we have had hundreds of companies who now have built software that are integrated, that are running on top of our software. And, you know, adding a, you know, an opportunity here and there that might be certain tax rules in a different country. It might be the ability to uh, go calculate um, freight savings or, something completely different, right? And so that's lucky for us, right? Because th that means we don't have to build everything ourselves and, and we kind of create a competition uh, to create better value for your customers, right? right? And so the first customers were coming to you because of the free software 
And then they were starting, the next batch of customers were coming to you because their suppliers, their vendors were using you. And yeah. then once you raised money in order to build what DHL and others needed, you hired a sales team. What was that process like for bringing in new business? I mean, that was, that was a massive transformation, right? Because in the beginning, you know, it's the founder and a small team who sells stuff, right? And I think that's really, really important because you got to meet your customers. You got to spend as much time as you can with your customers because that's understanding their problems, their needs, figuring out where you want to be. But then you hire your first VP of sales, you hire your first VP of marketing, and then you got to build a process, right? Because um, when you're selling to a hundred customers at a time or a thousand at a time, it got to be a process. Um, and you know, it, it becomes pure math at this point in time, right? You know, how big is your pipeline? How big is your sales force? What's your conversion rates? Uh, what's your demand and what are you paying per lead? Um, so I think a lot of people think, you know, sales is going out and talking a lot, but sales is economics. And, and especially in software as a service, it's really economics, right? That's what all the great companies get valued on today is, you know, how good are the economics in sales? Um, and so we had to really, we had to learn that from scratch, how to do that. And I'm a product person. So to me, and, and it was a long way of, of moving and, you know, uh, you know, our first salespeople was like, you know, often they told me, like, stop selling, just stop talking. Why? Um, because you weren't good at it. No, no, I'm, I'm great at that. I think I still am, but, but no, so? but they were like, they were more like, no, it's, it's not sales to enterprise. It's not about talking. It's about project management. It's making sure you meet everyone. It's about making sure you get to, you know, because there might be seven different people making decisions. What does it help that you just talk to one person, you're made really warm, but actually three other people don't really like that person. So if that uh, person now starts pitching everyone, guess what? You might actually have ruined the deal, right? Wow. Yeah. So, 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 so there's a, so, so there's a whole different exercise when you start doing enterprise sales, you got to understand your power map, which means who are the decision makers, what's the landscape. And then you're going to make sure, you know, who are your sponsors who might repeatedly be against you. All of these things. So it's a very, very different exercise than you think. Uh, you know, versus pitching a VC to get venture funding is a very much more straightforward exercise than that, right? I remember I got my first, well, I got a job with Dale Carnegie and Associates. And I said, yeah. okay, you gave me a job. I'm going to read this Dale Carnegie sales book. And the salesman who I worked for said, no, we're, that's too basic sales. And he gave me a book on enterprise sales about understanding who the right people were. And it becomes this real complicated dance of both science and personalities, like you mentioned, like who likes who, who's the person who likes your idea so much that they bring you in. It's a, it's like a whole, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't something that I could fully learn and he didn't expect me to fully learn and master it's not something that I could imagine that you would fully learn and master. Who did you bring in and how did you find somebody to organize this, to take the guy who's charismatic, you, and create a system? Yeah, I mean, you got to take, uh, you, you got to get a, a great VP of sales, right? And I think, you know, uh, a lot of people out there advocating the two first hires going to be a great, in, in software as a service enterprise, should be a great VP marketing and VP sales because they got to figure out how to put that system in place. And they got to figure out if they can take sort of distill what's your product, who's the founder, what the vision, and then distill that into a process, then you have a problem, right? If you hire a VP of sales that just do the same as you, you should be a little worried because now you just hired another person to talk. Um, but I think you're right on the method, right? And, and I mean, for instance, when we use a lot, it's what we call challenger sales, which means we go in there and we challenge our customers' assumptions. We don't sit down and I would say, hey, okay, tell us everything you think we should be doing. We go and say, when they tell us, I said, we think you're wrong. And then everybody goes, excuse me, right? Because they're so used to, especially if you work for an arts company, that vendors come in and say, yes, you know, whatever you ask, yes, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we do the opposite. We say, are you sure? Um, and, but that creates great conversation and great engagement, and that works for us, right? So it's about picking your model and your method, and it's got to fit with how you sell your software, where you are in the market, all of these things. And so who guided you to find that? How did you go to, to build that? So we were very lucky that one of our, I mean, our second uh, investors uh, was, was a British outfit, uh, Notion Capital. And Notion Capital had just 
come out of exiting building one of the world's first SaaS companies uh, that they sold uh, for a lot of money, antivirus, they sold it to Norton in, uh-huh. in or Symantec, as it's called today, for those who uh, don't remember Norton. But um, they they need, I mean, there was not that many SaaS companies around, right? So, but they've been through the whole playbook. They've been through everything. And there were definitely um, great guidances in, in going and, and helping scale my, uh, the early stages of our business, understanding enterprise sales and, and how to build out the process and so on. All right. I'll talk quickly about my second sponsor. It is Gusto. I've switched to Gusto. I think everyone out there who has a team of people that you're paying, whether it's contractors or employees, you need the right software to do it well. This is a good time of year to switch to Gusto. Get started right. Gusto will make it easy for you, easy for your team. And also they've got the support to make it, um, to get you the help that you need. I keep mentioning easy because I do want it to be simple to pay. I want it simple for everyone who's getting paid to understand what they're getting paid, to understand about the benefits they're getting, to see it all on a site that's just beautiful, clean, and works well, and to have a team behind you. Here's uh, the company that I and many of the people I interview use. It's called Gusto. And if you go to gusto.com slash Mixergy, they will let you use their software for free for a few months so you really get a sense of how it works. I urge you to get started with them right now, 2022, in the beginning. Even if you've paid already um, using other software, they will transition you well. Go to gusto.com slash Mixergy. See? Podcast sales is so much easier. You need to make sure that you like the product, that you use it, and then if you do... Then you just talk about it. There's no, does Christian like me and does Sam like Christian? And I love that. But I think that's it. Can I mean, just make a comment to that? Because actually, I think yeah. that's, we kind of have both, right? In the early days of why trade shift became popular, it was exactly that. People just used our software and liked it, right? And that came into the enterprises. And in fact, today we, we have a word for that, right? We call that product led sales. Uh, it's the world of Slack. It's the world of, I mean, how did Slack become big, right? People just stopped using them. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, it just got into the organizations that way. So I think, you know, um, it's not so strange, but it's, what's, what's very hard is to manage that transition from just spreading organically because people like your software to then managing the enterprise transition, right? And a lot of companies have a hard time doing that because it's completely different disciplines. I think at the time that you were starting, there were a lot of companies that, was all, that were also resisting it. It didn't feel right. Like I remember people seeing HubSpot grow, but also feeling resentful. Why do they have salespeople if they're a software company? They're clearly pounding bad software using great yeah. salespeople, right? Yeah, and in that, reality, that was the right approach. No, but look, I mean, even even I mean, even Slack, right? I mean, what what happened, right? Is is you know they had a great product, but they didn't really grow in enterprise until they had traditional enterprise salesforce, right? And and to be honest, I mean, Microsoft was, was handing them, you know, their, their butt uh, behind on, on, on that simple thing because they had, Microsoft had a great enterprise sales force for teams, right? Not picking sides on what software is best here, just using as an example of, of the approaches. But from what I understand with them, they never did get to that enterprise sales. They could have charged more. They could have given more support, right? It wasn't just yeah. about how Microsoft bundled. It was also how Microsoft sold and Slack didn't make that transition. Am I right? Yeah. And I mean, but look at who acquired them, uh, you know, Salesforce, probably the right. world's masters at, at that discipline. So I think they have that cover, right? And and that's a that why it's, a, it's an acquisition that makes a lot of sense. All right. And so as you continued, you talked about how network effects got you started. Did network effects help you later on? Yes, um, they continue to help us today. I mean, network effects, I mean, 20% of the network growth that we see every year is just suppliers joining through invites of other companies, right? So that's a that's a big factor. Of, and you can think about the network, right? That's the value that is for everyone, right? Why would another company want to join the network? Well, because a lot of other companies are there. Um, I think the other thing, though, we didn't fully appreciate is that, you know, if you're a software as a service company just selling enterprise software, when you go live with one customer, you only have the cost of going live with one customer. It's not like you have to do a lot more. Uh, mm. But when you're running a network company, you also get the network effects on the cost side, right? So you go in, you sell to a big company, and they say, now put 10,000 suppliers live. Well, that's not one go live. That's 10,000 in one go lives. Mm. Um, and so we have to be very careful in figuring out how to manage large-scale deployments and large-scale 
uh, network effects on both the cost side and on the, the winning business side. At one point, that nearly not bankrupted you, but it was a real tough financial situation that you were in. And you were also backlogged with not being able to launch. What did you do to overcome all that? Yeah, no, I think bankrupt is a word I would definitely avoid. We, we, we weren't close to that. But, right. <laughs> um, we, you know, we were at a point where, you know, and I think any startup plan has seen this, right, where the cost side of the business was accelerating so fast, actually due to how many customers we were winning. Right. We had a year, maybe four weeks our customer base and we couldn't get our arms down. It's like, we are so successful. This is amazing. And then we started having to deploy these customers and we realized that every single part of our operational infrastructure, deployment, professional services was not scaled for this. And, and not only did we, it, it wouldn't help, like it wouldn't help that we hired double the amount of people. Uh, we really had to completely re-architect software organization everything to how we did this and we had to do it in a very short amount of time or you know we would get eaten by it and uh, uh, you know i think it's seen before i remember you know reed hoffman said that about paypal right at one point they were burning so much money on the scale of the network or in this case also fraud that if they didn't fix it in months you know it, it would eat the network and that's the challenge for network effects uh when they're really accelerating if you don't have a handful on cost they can eat you much much faster than what you know from from SaaS or other businesses, right? So I'm wondering what you're up to now. So build.com, smaller company, gone public. You're, what do you think of that? As I was saying it, I noticed I, something come across your face. No, no, I, I was going to say congratulations to Rene. I mean, he has done an amazing job as CEO founder of, of build.com. He, he is one of those cases, right? Like it's yet another overnight success that took, you know, 16 years or so. So, Whenever people see these companies and say, oh my God, that company is so huge and so valuable in no time, I, I always remind people, it takes a lot longer than you, you might think. Um, I think Build.com is an amazing business and I think they've done really, really well. They're not really a network. They're much more focused on building a piece of software for, for, for SMEs that work well. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, you know what I'm more, most excited about actually is he has proven to the market that a blended business model of financial services and software is a great way to go about it, right? 69% of, of his revenue is, is is payment and finance, right? And I honestly Is that think, right? So yeah, for people who yeah. don't know, Bill.com is a way to pay your vendors. It kind of has an invoicing component in it, but essentially it's, if you want an easy way to pay your vendors, that's what they want to do. Am I right? Yeah, exactly right. And, and very simple software and, and, and also, you know, easy to use and, and but what they really did was they embedded you know the payment and getting the money into that product right and and I think you know that's honestly I think the way that most software is going to go in the future if you're in the what's the payment space. component for them so um, if you're using their software or uh, you know uh, any other software our software for that matter mm-hmm. uh, I better make sure I say that um, mm-hmm. you know, and send an invoice. You can then pay it straight with a credit card. You can pay it with, uh, you know, ACH bank account. You can hook it up to mm-hmm. your, your bank transfer, right? And that's using their financial service infrastructure to do that, right? Uh, okay, got it. And so that when I pay a percentage, they get, Some it's of them the money who are goes doing to it. Them. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Their processor, the way that Stripe is. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, okay. That's the way enterprise software is, is uh, or small business software is going to go in the future. It's going to be a mix of financial service and fintech revenue combined with software revenues. And, and Can you give me an example of that? Good. Let's talk a little bit about the future. So what other businesses do you see that will have that financial component? And then we'll talk about crypto and how that fits in with your yeah. business. No, no. I mean, I'll take a really good example from, from ourselves, right? Like, I mean, we, we use a lot of artificial intelligence in our software in different pieces and one example is when you're working in a big company, you get an invoice, you got to figure out if you're going to approve this invoice or not. But you might, this single person here might look at thousands of invoices to approve. They might not really remember who is this vendor or not. Um, so our software allows to say, we, we actually know the relationship, we know all the data. We can give you a very high confidence interval if you should pay enough, right? So we can give you that as a rating. And but what we also could do, actually, we could say, well, let us do that automatically for all invoices under $10,000, right? Mm. And just let the AI take care of that. And on paper, and, and we could prove mathematically that you're not going to take a loss that's bigger than any loss you might have today. Now, when you explain that to a CFO, they'll say, 
that sounds great, but who's going to get fired if it doesn't work, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's not until you start thinking, well, actually, this is not a software problem. This is an insurance problem, right? So if I can go to them and say, well, guess what? The software works exactly as we say, and if not, we insure it, right? Mm. You, you know, we'll just, so now you're getting AI deployment into the enterprise, but we're doing it because it's embedded a, a bundle with insurance. So I think the, you know, a lot of software that will need to go and change business processes in radical ways. So I have people take a bit more risk than they used to an enterprise will need to be bundled with either insurance or underwriting or other things like that. And that's much easier to do today than that was 10 years ago, right? All right. I remember interviewing the founder of Dwala years ago, and he yeah. said, he talked to me about how credit card processing and payment for enterprise and businesses is really expensive. And then I went back and sure enough, I looked, one of the biggest expenses in my company, maybe the biggest expense was just the cost of moving money from my customers to me. And I know that my that I have the similar impact on the people that I buy from. It's still an issue to this day, right? Yeah. At what point do we see crypto make that easier, make it cheaper? Because you're basically moving money from one company to the other to another and then right back to you. And in that whole little chain, money disappears. Yeah, no, no. And and the banks for some reason keep getting larger. It's funny how that works. And we um, see and we see people like Amazon and Walmart get upset about this. I think if smaller businesses looked, they would see that it's a huge expense, but we don't notice it. What do you see, especially in bigger no, transactions? No, I think, look, honestly, um, I think the cost of moving money will go to zero over the next 10 years. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, I think, you know, crypto got to figure out right now, and there's a lot of different, you can't just say crypto, because a lot of different things, right? But all of the popular services, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, they all have a challenge that actually the cost of moving money has gone the other way. It's today far more expensive yeah. to move money on Ethereum than it is using the bank. So, yes. so, so, so I don't think that's really solving the problem. I think we've got to be nervous. We, we can't just say, oh, we're going to invest, invest, invent this new technology that will solve it. We've got to figure out what is actually the problem, right? And the problem here is just that there are middlemen that benefit from, from taking his lives, right? And, you know, for us, we're looking at it. You know, we, we launched a product last year, Cash, that allows all of our companies that use trade to get paid. Uh, and guess what? Not on, you know, you send an invoice and the payment terms are 30 days, 45 days, whatever they are, but on the day you issue the invoice, no matter what the payment terms are, right? And that's a service that a lot of companies find really valuable. Um, we are not charging for the payments on that. You can move your money for free. We will charge you a fee for moving the money payment up. But on the other hand, then you're getting paid, you know, 45 days earlier. Uh, so I think it's about figuring out how to build value-added products and services that actually benefit both sides. And, and um, you know, I think far too often, whenever we have to do with money, we always start thinking about how can it benefit the middleman um, instead of thinking about, and, and, you know, in software, you always start by saying, how do you build a product that's great for the user? Uh, I think we need to ask ourselves the same questions for financial services, and I think the people who do that, they will win. And I don't know why it's so difficult and there's so much money to be had if you do win. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, between companies globally, there's $9 trillion outstanding at any given point, meaning customers that haven't paid for the services they got delivered. But paying up front, that's more like a loan product, right? Where you get, you get paid yeah. for making that money move faster. Yeah, but think about it as a consumer, right? So as a consumer, mm -hmm. if you go into an Apple store, you don't go and say, hey, let me get that new MacBook 90 days, 4%. You don't start negotiating, right? You just take your credit card up and you run it. Yes. And the network has intermediated that, right? And as a consumer, you're much less, let's say, pissed off that they're taking a fee because they're delivering a service for you, which is pay me, you know, I, I, I can pay every month or I can run a running balance or whatever I want to do, right? Of course, those fees we can argue are still high, but where it's really problematic is when it's just taxation for movement, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Moving money from A to B, you know, as a consumer cost 1.5% using, let's say, PayPal. Why? I mean, yeah. that it, it's just, I mean, I can tell you why, because they can't, right? And, they, right. You have and, service and meanwhile, for me as a business, when I'm buying it from, when I'm buying it from Apple, Apple has to pay 
what anywhere from 1.5 to that's probably roughly where they are 1.5 maybe two yeah. on me yeah I'm, i don't need the credit cards credit i basically pay the bill automatically right yeah it's just that i need the simplicity and there isn't another yes. system that's simple yes. that just takes the money yes. out of my bank gives it to them and then maybe gives me a little bit of a discount or maybe makes them a little bit of a discount yeah and but but i think to do that you've got to have scale you've got to have enough scale that you can intermediate both sides and then you can ask them what is it you want right because if you go to the buyer and say what would you like right the buyer would say oh we would like to pay in 180 days or 300 days, right? That's that's what they would love to mm. do. And if you go ask the seller, what would you like? You say, I would like to get my money immediately and pay zero fees, right? And the problem in between those is honestly just a financial structuring problem. And I think the reason we haven't been able to do that is because there was never anyone really with enough scale and enough data to structure that financial product. Um, do you think you have enough scale? Does TradeShift have that? You know, I mean, with half a trillion dollars of, of trade and... yeah. We're generating around a terabyte of data, you know, a, a month. I, I think we're close. And, and you know, obviously, this is something we think about every day, not for how it could benefit us, but how it could benefit everybody who uses the network. Yeah, right, right. If you have it, then the thing is that you have enough people on both sides. People would be willing to pay money. Even 1% is a lot of money, right? Yeah. And so if, they could, if you could get them to a quarter of 1%, that's huge. All cool. right. Thanks so much for being on here. In 10 years, I'm looking forward to having you back on. We'll talk about how the IPO went. We'll talk about, do you, buy, yeah. do, you do anything for fun yet? For fun? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, now that you've I, done I so mean, well for yourself. What are you doing for fun? Yeah, yeah no, I work some more. No, I, look, I live in Marin. You know, I love going on road bike rides. We have wonderful nature Marin here. Marin road bikes is the worst because there's no shoulder. Someone's going to kill you. Yeah, I know. You're just going to go and be big. Gravel bike, can you never do that? It's a little bit, uh, you don't have the cost there. You know, so, so tough. That's impressive. I think when you just say I go bike ride in Marin, I think people should know it's a lot of hills. It's very little shoulders. It's a tough bike ride, but it's, it's beautiful. a serious bike ride. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. All right, Christian, thanks so much for being on here. The site is tradeshift.com and I'm appreciative that you're back. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really enjoyed it and uh, see you in 10 years. You bet.